First Peter chapter five, verse one reads as follows. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. And I partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Albert Speer was one of Adolf Hitler's inner circle. And Speer describes what that was like for him and the others. He said, we could not even enjoy eating cherries with him. He was one who made us simple projections of his vast and gigantic ego. Now, you might argue the point. Adolf Hitler was an effective leader. He was effective for evil through and through. But no one could argue that he was not a man who was a mover and a shaker. He was a leader, albeit the wrong kind of leader. Contrast Hitler with a man named Father Damien. In 1863, Father Damien went to Molokai, one of the islands in Hawaii, a part of which was separated, sequestered for people who suffered from leprosy. His mission? To bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to lepers. Whereas Hitler's approach was one of demeaning people in his leadership style, Damien's approach was to dignify people. He quickly went to work teaching about Jesus, of course, but also building roads and houses in which the inhabitants of that leper colony would live, meeting them where they were, building buildings for schools, for church, building all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, the self-esteem of these people began to rise higher than it had ever been since they had come to that colony. In addition to that, he did not do all this from a distance. He got involved with them. He would make coffins for those who were dying or who had died. He would participate in the burial of those who died under his watch. He was one who actually assisted in the dressing of the wounds of these lepers, exposing himself to the illness that took the lives of those on that island who were lepers. He was one who would share his pipe with them. And this is pretty amazing. He would eat with them. And the custom of Polynesians was to eat with their hands. He would dig into the poi with them and eat with them. After several years of serving them, one day he stood before his congregation of lepers, and the way he began his address was by saying, My fellow lepers. He had truly become one of them. His leadership style dignified them. It changed their lives. It was one of caring as over against controlling. There are these options available to us. 
who are assigned the responsibility as leaders in the church of Jesus Christ. We who are pastors, we who are elders, are in a long line of people who have served the Lord and the Lord's people as elders, dating all the way back to Moses. In the 11th chapter of the book of Numbers, the Bible recounts the story of Moses receiving counsel that he needed to appoint some people who could help him. He needed to delegate some of the authority. And he accepted that counsel as coming from God, the result of which was 70 men joined him in the matter of leading the people. From that point forward in the history of Israel, elders pop up in positions of influence and prominence. There were elders who advised kings. There were elders who supported the priesthood. There were elders in every village, in every city, from the smallest village to the citadel of Jerusalem, the capital. There were elders who would meet in the gates, and there they would hear people who had problems. They would settle disputes based upon the wisdom of God reflected in the law of Moses and the prophets. And elders have held a very important position since Old Testament times. When you look at the formation of the New Testament church, the first group of people who are recognized as leaders after Pentecost are elders. The Apostle Paul, whenever he would plant a church before leaving to go to another place led by the Spirit to plant another church, would appoint elders. That's what the Bible says in Acts 14, 23. It's very instructive to consider what the word appoint means. We have an idea, and we were right in our idea, but the idea of appointment was was appointing people by the lifting of the hand, which indicates that there was not arbitrary, singular appointment of elders. Certainly, Paul was the leader. People like Titus on the island of Crete, he was the leader of the church. They were people like Timothy. They gave leadership, but they did not ignore the people. And the result was that they would consult the people, and then after the leader would suggest, or a group of leaders suggest, this person is right for eldership, then those who made up the church would affirm by raising their hand and participate in the appointing of elders in our own church. Our elders have a responsibility of interviewing men who present themselves for eldership to see if they meet the biblical qualifications. There's a period of observance of those candidates by our elders to see if, in fact, they do have the maturity and the wisdom necessary to be elders. If we were to go to Acts chapter 20, what we would discover is that the word elder is used interchangeably and synonymously with the word bishop or overseer and also the concept of a pastor. Elder speaks of maturity. That's what that word suggests. Secondly, the word overseer speaks of responsibility. And thirdly, the word shepherd speaks of the nuts and bolts of what a pastor does, an elder does, in his oversight of the body of believers assigned to him. Once in our church, when we observe men who believe the Lord perhaps is leading them to serve in our church as an elder, 
What we do is we bring that candidate to the church. If the elders are in complete agreement that such a person is, in fact, a person whom they believe God is leading to be an elder, then that is brought to the church. And you, if you are a member of our church, have the privilege and responsibility to register your affirmation or reservation as it regards those men. The history of eldership is a rich history. It's not simply a tradition. It's more than a tradition. It is the prescribed manner that God has given to His church for spiritual leadership in the church of Jesus Christ. So let's look at this passage. Having introduced our thinking with the two anecdotes, one from the life of Adolf Hitler, the other from Father Damien, and see what elders aren't to be and what they are to be. It's right here in this text. Elders are not appointed to control those whom they shepherd, whom they pastor. Why? Well, there's a very clear answer to that question. Verse 2. Would you look at verse 2 again? This phrase is really the pivot around which all other ideas revolve in this text of Scripture. Shepherd the flock of God among you. The flock of God. This expression of the church of Jesus Christ, Coronado Baptist Church, is not my church or our church as pastors and elders. It's not our church. It is our church, really. Because it's the church that we have been sent to, to be a part of. We're part of this church. It's your church too. If you're a part of this church, it's your church. But it really doesn't fundamentally belong to anyone except Jesus, right? Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and we get our marching orders from Him. In God's providence, however, He's established under-shepherds in the church who affiliate closely with Him and with the body of believers in the functioning of the church, in the prescribed manner that God sets forth in the New Testament. So we need to understand that. Remember when Peter, the one who wrote this, had an encounter with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee after Jesus had raised from the dead? And you may recall, Jesus asked Peter this question three times. And it was very painful for Peter to hear Christ repeat it three times because surely it reminded him of the fact that not too long before that conversation, he had denied Jesus three times. And what was the question? Same question. Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter responded the same way. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus said, something very similar each time after he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said this to Peter the first time. He said, then feed my lambs. After the second time when Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then Jesus said, then tend my sheep. And then after the third time, he said, then feed my sheep. So notice the way that Jesus describes the church. It's his flock, right? And his flock are made up of his sheep. You're not my sheep. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
But I am the under-shepherd of Christ. You are my charges. I am responsible for your souls. We're going to look at that. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome to think about. It's pretty scary to think about. I don't like to think about it too much because it would give me rigor mortis of the soul to think about it. I just get all frozen up. I'll never forget my first meeting as a pastor in 1977. It was in the home of Don and Lynn Monks on the east side of El Paso. It was a Wednesday night. It was a prayer meeting. And when it came time to pray, we fielded prayer requests. I had given a little teaching. I don't remember what I taught. There probably weren't over a dozen people there. And when I began to pray, I began to break down and cry. It was not because I was passionate for Jesus and really passionate for those people. I don't know what they thought. I never asked them. But I was scared to death. That's what it was all about. It's amazing the the weight that comes upon a man when he assumes responsibility as an elder, overseer, or shepherd of the flock of God. It's God's flock. We need to understand it's Jesus' church. That's important. So we have no right to, as elders, to seek to control the church. We need to be under the control of the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit mediate His leadership through us as leaders. That's what we need to do. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers in the history of the church of Jesus Christ, he was a Welshman, a very godly man. J.I. Packer said about Lloyd-Jones, I have heard many people preach, but I have never heard a human being preach who had so much of God in him when he preached. That's a high compliment. He was a man of God par excellence. In one of his writings, he said this about pastors. He said, pastors are shepherds, but they're not pet lambs. They don't belong to the congregation any more than the congregation belongs to them. They belong to Christ. They're His under-shepherds. That's important for us to understand, too, when we consider this whole matter of eldership and the responsibility of elders. Well, what would cause me as an elder to desire control? Well, the text says... And this would be universally applicable to all those who are elders, pastors, overseers, or who might become pastors, elders, or overseers. The love of power. That's what would be a temptation to all of us who are in that situation. Look at verse 3. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. The word lorded over was a word used by Jesus to describe the way in which Gentile leaders led people, a lot like Hitler, lording it over. The word means to control with a heavy hand for personal glory, seen in a desire to dominate others and demand their obedience. That's heavy-handedness. That's being an overlord, not an overseer. And we who are elders in the church, pastors, we are people who are overseers. We are elders. We are shepherds of the flock. D.T. Niles, who was an outstanding spiritual leader in Ceylon before it was known as Sri Lanka, he was a pastor, but he became a bishop. He was the overseer of many congregations in that island country. One day, his son, probably about 12 years old, maybe a little younger, maybe 11, 
was with him in the church building where he preached regularly. And his son said to his father, Father, I want to be a preacher when I grow up. Well, this excited D.T. Niles because he had raised his son to follow Christ. And quite frankly, he'd been praying that the Lord would raise up one of his sons at least to be a pastor. And then he said to him, why, son? He was pretty eager. And then the answer shocked him and also rebuked him. The boy pointed to the pulpit, which was raised a little higher than this stage is, and he said, I want to stand up there and tell people what to do. Well, that was a wake-up call for D.T. Niles. And it's an instruction to me and all the others who fulfill this responsibility, which is a beautiful responsibility of being a pastor, elder, overseer. Dallas Willard A dear man of God wrote this in this regard, to manipulate and manage people, that is to drive them, isn't the same thing as to lead them. Sheepdogs nip and harass the sheep. Shepherds lead the sheep. Elders are not cowboys. These are not his words, they're mine. Driving God's flock like cattle, but shepherds walking ahead. Elders must often ask which role they're playing. This is the charge to us, the seven men who serve this congregation as elders. What is our style? Is our style of leadership dictatorial or is it pastoral? Are we shepherds or are we people who are bosses? Are we driving people or are we leading people? Well, the answer that we should give is we're seeking to lead people. When we speak from this setting, or in a small group, as pastoral leaders, shepherds, elders, when we teach, our heart would be that reflected in what Peter teaches in First chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Would you look at it? Verse 11. It's right across the page in the Bible I'm reading. 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. When I teach the Word of God before you, it's a great privilege. It's an even greater responsibility that I do what the Bible says when Paul wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith. He says that he is to study Hard to prove himself a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We are to be men in this responsibility who say, thus says the Lord. And we say it because we're students of God's word. We have devoted ourselves to developing the gift of teaching that God has given to us. We have done everything we know to do to be as sharp as we can be spiritually and intellectually, and we take the principles of biblical interpretation to the Word of God. And in effect, what happens when we do the kind of teaching we do here, expository teaching is what it's called, where we don't get an idea and then go look for support in the Bible for it, but rather we go to the Word of God and let words of God dictate what we teach. This message was not something that came out of my own mind. 
It came from the mind of God because it's according to the Scripture that we're looking at. So I must never say something like this to you. I want you to do such and such. What arrogance there is in my putting myself in the place of God. But we are to be true to His Word as leaders. We are to take the Scripture, which is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. We are to teach the whole counsel of God. Many of man who is an elder or a pastor or an overseer has been tempted by the love of power and prestige, thinking that doing what I'm doing today is a place that will really look, make them look like they're somebody. Look, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter whether you're an elder or not. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are somebody. You are His child. You are God's son or God's daughter. You are a person who is blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You are significant. And I should not desire significance and seek it in being a pastor or an elder or a teacher. Milton in his Paradise Lost paints this picture of Satan. Satan thought it better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. And we have this opportunity as leaders in the church to be men who are servant-hearted men, who understand that it's by the grace of God that we are what we are. It is His gifting, if we have the gifts that are necessary to be a pastor, that we are able to do what we do in some way to honor Him and to help the body of Christ to be Growing. Anyone who enters eldership or the pastorate with a desire for preeminence or with becoming a lord over other people grossly misunderstands what the Bible teaches. We are to be bondservants of Christ. And Paul gave clear instruction to Timothy when he said that he was to be a bondservant of Christ as a spiritual leader. This is what he said. Abel and concerned to help other people. One who is not easily offended. One who gently corrects those who are in opposition. Remember, we have a responsibility to correct people in the body when they are out of the will of God. But we're to do it with gentleness, with hope that they will be brought back into right fellowship with the Lord. So one of the temptations for us as elders is the love of power. We need to recognize it and see the various forms it offers itself to us and categorically reject such offers. Then there is the love of money. This text teaches about that as well. Look at the middle of verse 3. Actually, it's 2, I'm sorry. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Now, the word translated sordid gain is one of those rich New Testament words. It's a word which was frowned upon in the Greek community. And what I mean by frowned upon, if a person was given this description, that would be a way of saying that person was no good, really, and an outcast in the eyes of most 
self-respecting Greek people. Well, this is what the word was used to describe in terms of a person's character by a man named Theophrastus, who was a student of personalities and character. He described it and illustrated it this way. The person who is foresorted gain is a person who, when he has guests come into his house, he gives very small portions of food at the same time having enough to give large portions. A person who, when it comes to carving meat for the meal, gives himself twice as much as he would give someone else. A person who would never go to the theater unless someone paid his way to the theater. A person who, when with a group of people, who had to pay some sort of fare in order to get transportation, he would wait until someone paid his way. All the while having the resources to do the paying. A person who, when invited to a wedding, would make sure that he was out of town on the wedding date so he would not need to buy a wedding gift. Do I have a witness? (laughs) Any of you ever done that? In other words, this person was all about himself. And this idea of sordid gain, it's the idea of being in the ministry for what you can get out of it. Being an elder or a pastor or an overseer for what you can get from it. Peter wrestled with this money question just like he wrestled with the authority question, the craving for power. Remember when he had just announced that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, had been commended by Christ? And then what happens next? Peter pulls Jesus aside. He says, no, Lord. He had the audacity to seek to exercise power over Christ. That was nutty, wasn't it? But he did it because that's something that's in all of us. We want to control People, even we like to manipulate God if we can. If we could get away with it, we would do it. But in the area of money, when Jesus had dealt with the rich young ruler, and the young ruler did not accept the advice of Jesus, he goes away. And then the apostles are just dumbfounded because Jesus said that a rich man, it's hard for a rich man. This guy was rich. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, and that probably was a reference to a very small entrance gate in the wall that surrounded Jerusalem. It was very difficult. Some camels could just sort of squeeze through, get down on their knees and squeeze through. It was so low and so narrow. And then Peter said this, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. Then what is there for Us. Oh, Peter. Thinking there was something material in it for him. Well, that's not an incentive for any man to be an elder or a pastor or an overseer. Now, elders are entitled to compensation. Jesus himself says in Luke 7.10 regarding preachers and teachers of the gospel, he says, the laborer is worthy of his hire. And Paul quotes Jesus in talking about this. He says, elders who do a good job of teaching are worthy of double honor, is what the Word of God says. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, talking about himself and the other apostles, he says, don't Peter, and he names some others, don't they get their living from preaching the gospel? And aren't I entitled to the same? Anyone who preaches and teaches 
is entitled to that and does the right kind of work associated with it. But we're not to be after sordid gain, not greedy for money. That's what it basically means as pastors who get paid, even though it's okay that we get paid. I'll never forget hearing about a pastor in Florida. He received a guest unannounced in his office, and it was a lady. She was well-dressed. She was bejeweled. She gave every appearance of being a wealthy person. He offered her a seat in his study, and he said, well, how can I help you? And she said, my dog died, and I was wondering if you would do a funeral for my dog. Well, he'd never had anyone ask this question. After all, he was a Baptist pastor, you know. He said, well, you know, I, I want to pray for you because I have a dog and I've had dogs who died and I love my dogs. But we don't do funerals in the Baptist church for animals. Maybe you can find some place else for that. She got up, thanked him. She was not offended by that. Started to walk out the door and almost as an afterthought, she turned around and she said... I was going to give $10,000 for this funeral. And then the pastor said, I didn't know your dog was a Baptist. (laughs) So if you come to see me to bury your dog, bring your checkbook, okay? Where the love of money reigns, Shepherds are prone to become hirelings who cut and run when things get hard or a better opportunity comes down the pike. Listen to what Adolf Hitler said. I'm quoting him. I'm kind of reluctant to quote him about anything, but he renders a very good, bad example if there's such a thing. When his advisors were talking to him, about his alliance with the church. Now, Hitler and every successful politician pretty much knows how to work preachers and Christians. This is what he said when they were saying, do you think they'll stay with you? And listen to what Hitler said. Do you really believe the masses will ever be Christians again? Nonsense. Never again. The pastors will betray their God to us. They will betray anything for the sake of their miserable little jobs and incomes. There is great danger for leaders in the body of Christ and you, if you're not a leader. Great danger in getting in bed with any politician. No matter how good his or her message may sound. No matter how it seems to resonate with what we believe Because we need to maintain the voice of the prophet in a culture that at its best is wicked. This world is a wicked world. We need to keep this in mind as we think about this as spiritual leaders. We are to always be ready to give as elders, pastors, and overseers, not to get. We are to avoid money-making schemes. When I was a young pastor, one of my favorite pastor teachers, I would listen to him whenever I had an opportunity on cassette tape. That's very that much dates me, doesn't it? 
cassette tapes or on the radio or sometimes I would see him on TV. I always wanted to hear him because it seemed that God would speak to me every time. And someone handed me a cassette and it was by this pastor. And I could hardly wait to put it in my player. And I don't remember if it was in the car or a portable player. But I began to listen and quickly I was shocked. Because he was at an Amway rally, rallying the Amway folks and talking about how great Amway was. And there was never a mention of Christ. And I thought, oh my goodness. Now, the rest of the story is, soon thereafter, he disassociated himself with Amway. There's nothing wrong with Amway. I'm not criticizing Amway. What I'm criticizing would be me or any other pastor, elder, who would seek Another means of income except what we do in discharging our responsibility as pastors. Now, there are some pastors I know who are poorly paid. And they're what are called bivocational pastors. But we need to understand that as elders and pastors and overseers. We're to work hard. It's one of the things that Jesus exemplifies And also compliments backhandedly when he said, Depart from me, you wicked and lazy servant, when he's telling the parable of the talents. We're to be workers who work hard. So, we are not appointed to control those whom we shepherd. Now listen carefully. This is very encouraging. We are appointed to care for those who shepherd us. Look again at our text. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because I have to do it. You know, a pastor or elder who just dreads what he does is not fit to be a pastor or an elder. Needs to get out of it. Get out of it as quick as he can. I remember a story told about a mother who had the same struggle every Sunday about getting her son out of bed to go to church with her. This Sunday was no different than any other Sunday. She fixed a beautiful breakfast, the aroma of frying bacon. Is there any aroma that's much better than that? It's awesome. And eggs were being made and biscuits. I mean, it was awesome. And she'd do that every week. And she would call his name, Johnny. Two-story house, he lived upstairs. and No answer. She said, Johnny, it's time to come down for breakfast. We've got to go to church. Still no answer. She went up to the door, knocked on the door, banged on it. Johnny, it's time to get up for breakfast. No answer. So she barged in, and when she did, he pulled the covers up over his head. And then she yanked them back off. He said, Johnny, we've got to go to church. And he said, I don't like it down there. The people don't like me, and you can't even give me one good reason why we should go or should I should go. She said, in the first place, you're 40 years old. In the second place, you're the pastor. Now, sometimes I have not been real eager to get up on Sunday to come here. I don't have that problem anymore. I would rather be here with you, the people of God, than any other place. I'm talking about my people. Remember, they're not my, you're not my people, but my family. I want to be with you. I can't imagine a believer not wanting to be with other believers, opting out for other things instead of being with the body. There's something wrong with our fellowship that people don't want to be here. And I'm speaking to the choir, I know, today. 
because you're here. Praise the Lord for your presence. And we are, according to this, to be enthusiastic as leaders, voluntarily doing it. Being an elder is never to be viewed as a profession. It's a passion. It's something one cannot suppress. Try as you might, if you were called to be an elder, you will not be able to quiet the voice of the Lord in your heart. Here are the ways we are to care. By leading them. The whole idea of shepherding involves leading. How are we to lead? By example. Isn't that what the text says? In verse 3, nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but approving to be examples to the flock. Whose example are we to follow, men, if we are elders? Whose example are we to follow? The example of Jesus, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, depending upon where you read the words about his shepherding. And in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 14, this is what Jesus says about himself. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and they know me. Now think about this. He's talking about you and me. I know my own. Jesus knows you by name. And if we as elders and pastors and overseers are going to discharge our duty the way we are, we want to know your name. Now, admittedly, some of us have better memories for names. But we really want to know our flock, that we have been given the responsibility to care for. God's called us to this. It's our privilege. We're to be like Jesus, right? And He's in us. And He goes on to say, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Greater love has no one than this. He went on to say in five chapters later that He laid down His life for His friends. We are to lay down our lives for you as shepherds, as elders, as overseers. We are to sacrifice Things that we really like and would really like to do to serve you. And we're very interested in that as pastors and elders in our church. I'm grateful for the service that I'm able to render alongside men like Dan Dodge and Sam Thomas and Alan Shepard and Jesus Solerio and David Haster and Scott Burns. I'm so grateful for these men. I know them. They're not perfect men any more than I'm a perfect man. But what I do know is they love this church. And more importantly, they love Jesus. And He lives in them and He's seeking to extend Himself through them. We're to be examples. I remember a story about Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher of the 19th century. He was visited by a man when he opened the door to admit the man into his house. Spurgeon had a big cigar in his fingers and he took a big drag off of it and exhaled the smoke. And the man was shocked. He was a pastor too. He said, what's a man of God like you doing smoking that? He said, well, Spurgeon said, and Spurgeon was not easily swayed one way or the other. But this is what he said. You know, when I become excessive in smoking the cigar, then I know I will have crossed the line. And this fellow pastor asked him, well, how will you know you've become excessive? He said, when I have a cigar in both hands at the same time. That's when I'll know I've become excessive. Shortly thereafter, his figure began to appear on billboards all over London 
promoting smoking. He didn't get permission. It was just taken to sell cigars and tobacco. Do you know what he did? He quit. He said, I will never smoke again. He gave it up. It's something he enjoyed. But he gave it up because he knew what it might lead others to who did not have the same self-control he had. And we must be willing to do the same. Jesus says this. He says, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. He's talking about his flock. And if we're going to be like Christ as leaders, for your sake, I'm going to set myself apart so you in turn may be set apart by the truth of God's Word. I'm going to seek to be a man who follows Jesus Christ and teaches the Word of God as it should be taught. So one of the ways we lead people is by example. It's the best way to lead people but also by protecting them against false teachers and sinful behavior. There are wolves in sheep's clothing who would try to infiltrate the church of Christ and mess up the truth, mess people's lives up. We are to pray for the sheep. Jesus Christ lives at this very moment, according to the writer of Hebrews, to intercede for us, and we as under-shepherds are to do the same. There was a certain man, Bishop Azariah of India, when he became the bishop of his region, he said, I committed myself to pray for every pastor every day in my region. He served as the bishop for 30 years and the diocese grew by 300%. I would suggest it grew because of the faithful intercession of that man of God. This church will grow when God's leaders really begin to pray together and pray for you. And you join us. It's not just for the leaders. Samuel, who was a great leader in his own right, said this near the end of his ministry. He said, Moreover, far be it from me that I should sin against God by ceasing to pray for you. It is a sin for me and for the elders not to pray for you. And we want to pray for you. We care for you by leading, by example, and by protecting you with teaching the truth as opposed to the lie and by praying for you, by feeding also. This is the second way. And it's foundational when it comes to proper spiritual leadership. Everything depends on your being properly fed as the church in order for problems to be minimized. Every church problem that I have faced as a pastor for the last 40 years has been due to either false doctrine or disobedience to God's Word. And we need to understand this. Proper food is God's Word. We are stewards of the whole counsel of God, Old and New Testament. This is our responsibility to you as your pastors and elders. The pulpit is not a stage, but a food line. It is... For nourishment, not for entertainment. Demosthenes, the great Greek orator and politician, it was said that when he would give a speech, he was so stirring in his capacity. The people who heard it would not say, this is a man of great speaking skill. They didn't say, this is a great oration when they would hear him speak. But this is what they would say. 
they would say, let us go and do what He has challenged us to do. And this should be the hope and dream of any elder pastor, that when he teaches, they would not say, that was a great sermon. That is no compliment. But they would say, let us apply what God has spoken to us. The motivation for such caring on the part of elders, because we will give an account. It's going to be a heavy account. Turn to chapter 13 for a moment of Hebrews, just a couple of books back toward the front. 13.17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. We're going to have to give an account. It's huge, this responsibility. But what is your responsibility? To obey and submit to our leadership. Now that sounds like I'm contradicting what I've said, but remember, where are we getting our message? From the Word of God. And you are to be like the Bereans in Acts 17. When Paul brought the gospel to them, they were eager to hear the truth. They wanted, and then what would they do when they dispersed from where they were hearing his teaching? What they would do, they would go and they would open the Word of God and see if what they had heard is true. That's my challenge to everyone every time that I teach. See if this is the truth of God's Word. If it is, well, you have no choice except to follow what God says. You're His church. He's given people like us to lead you. And we lead you by feeding you the Word of God. We will give an account. That's enough to motivate anybody, isn't it? To be a good leader. To know that we're going to be held to a higher standard than you. And here's the second thing. Because they will receive a reward. Turn back quickly. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, that would be at the second coming of Christ, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The word translated unfading is related to a flower that was rampant in that region. And the flower was thought to be a flower which would never fade. Isn't that a good picture of the crown of glory? The crown that's not simply glorious, but the crown that shares in the glory of Christ when He comes. We saw about this last week in Romans 8, 16-18. It's for all of us this sharing in the glory if we suffer with Christ. But also, there is a unique crown, evidently, for elders, pastors, and overseers. Well, as we finish, let me give you two things to consider when you are participating in appointing elders in this church. The first is, when you look at people who are being presented, look for the absence of the pride of position. That nobody is politicking for position. Nobody wants to put himself before the Lord or His people. Pride of position must be absent. That's number one. Number two, heart of the shepherd must be present. And that's not something you can be taught. It's something that comes in the gifting that comes to a man. I've said this many times before. I wish someone had taught me about the gifts of the Spirit when I was younger. 
I would have entered into this work. I entered rather young as it was, but even sooner. If I had known that if a person has the pastor-teacher gift, that's who he is fundamentally. That's not going to change. The gifts of God are irrevocable. They cannot be changed. And this gift is one that God gives to the church in the form of people who have the calling to be pastors and the gifting to be pastors. I close with this one simple statement. It's from the song of Deborah and Barak after they were given a great victory by God over their enemy, the Canaanites, the leader of whom was a man named Sisera. The place of the battle was Mount Tabor. And this is what they wrote in Judges 5.2. That the leaders led in Israel. Would you pray that I and the elders would lead the way this text teaches? That we would lead in the vein of Jesus Christ? We would feed you the Word of God so that you will grow and become stronger and so that this church, among others, will make a huge difference not only in El Paso but in the whole world? Would you pray that for us? Would you pray that the Lord will... Correct us quickly when we are wrong, individually and collectively. Would you pray that when we make decisions and we do this, you're not privy to what goes on in elders' meetings. It's not just some kind of club of elitists. It's a time when we come together and we say, we need to seek the Lord about these things. And when we don't have full agreement on anything, if six say yes and one says no, guess what happens? Nada until we are completely assured as a group this is what the Lord wants to do. Would you pray that for me, for Dan, for Sam, for Jesus, Alan, David, Scott? So that the leaders led in Israel and that the people volunteered. That you trusted God enough. You would trust God enough to follow the leadership He's placed here until such time as He removes the leaders. Would you do that? And then listen to the last thing. This is great. Blessed be the Lord. It blesses the Lord when leaders lead the way they're supposed to and the people follow the way they're supposed to. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the day. Thank You for the opportunity to be with our family in Christ today. Thank You for Your Word and Your Holy Spirit who teaches us, we pray, that those things that You want us to retain and also obey, that we would remember them and we would do them to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.